0: Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. We aim to inspire you to live a passionate life. My guest today is Shelley (laughs) Whitelight, who is a visionary leader in the realm of feminine embodiment. Her passion and purpose is holding space for women to create themselves and connect with their soul's purpose through intentional travel, unique modalities of dance and transformational mentoring sessions. Shelly has lived many lives within this one, I love that, and experience in the different dynamics of many realms, including religion, spirituality, shamanism, the family, plant medicine and psychedelics, sacred sexuality, birth work, healing touch, women's wellness and relationships. I Can't wait to talk about all of them. This is her story and this is her passion. Shelly,
1: welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for having me, Louisa. I really appreciate it.
0: Wow. I think I just want to talk about everything that I've just introduced, but um, <laughs> I guess a lot of women ask me, and you know, you're obviously living some of your passions, what this is a very long-winded question, but what led you to where you are
1: today? Curiosity. I love yeah. That. A lot of it. Um, I grew up in a very loving Christian household. And I'm so grateful for that actually in many different ways. Um, and I'm an only child. So my parents allowed me to they gave me a lot of structure in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they said just do whatever you want. They gave me the foundation that I felt like I needed to and this and this the familial support to go out into the world and just be who I am. And that led to a lot of a lot of really amazing experiences and Honestly, it all started with a hula hoop. I'll be really honest about that. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) a little plastic circle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I love that. I mean, your parents sound amazing and, you know, obviously empowered you to make your own choices. Yes. But the hula hoop, I can't hula hoop. (laughs) You can, you
1: just haven't yet.
0: You're right. But literally I could probably go around twice and then it just falls down.
1: (laughs) You know, it's all about the size of the hoop. Because we remember hula hooping as children. So we often will pick up a hula hoop that we used that is the same size that we used when we were children, but we're much taller and like also sometimes thrown outward a little (laughs) bit. So it's actually just physics. You know, we need a larger circle because we are a larger axis that it moves around. So I have some connections for you in Australia. Some of my favorite hoopers live in Australia. Okay. And I guess
0: it's, you know, when you're hula hooping, you have to move your body, which is incredible anyway.
1: Yes, absolutely. And to me, that is what, you know, I had um, several different, I feel like we go through lots of different layers and levels of awakenings in our life. And um, actually becoming sober from a really irresponsible use of drugs and alcohol was like my first level of awakening. And then my second level of awakening was massage school. And I've been a massage therapist 14 years. And that was A huge healing opportunity for me. And then shortly after that, I found the hula hoop or the hula hoop found me actually. And so that was a whole level of opening up my body in a way that I had never experienced before. And I think it has a lot to do with the spiraling motion and Mm -hmm. just this, this moving of the spine. And I feel like it literally opens and unlocks our energetic centers, our Um, sense of play, which I feel like is the main key to feminine embodiment actually is curiosity and play and just being in awe of life. And the hoop was just this first experience for me. And it also got me outside and dancing and listening to music. And so all of these things put together just really added up and just my eyes, my, my third eye, you know, all my eyes opened and I really had no idea where it would lead me, but that was really the beginning of the adventure. And I've just been spiraling with the hoop ever since. And it took me all around the world. It took me to Australia for three months and um, all over the place. And so that was really the beginning of, you know, my healing journey becoming a massage therapist was big, but then the hoop was like this whole other layer to that. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I love
0: your analysis of your life. I think I better do that as well. Obviously, I can tell you've done so much inner work because you can really sort of compartmentalize and really analyze all the stages of your life. And what an awesome thing to do. But mm. my question is, can you keep the hula hoop going without it dropping? On multiple parts of my body, yes. <laughs> can you do more than one hula hoop at the at the same time?
1: I um, I would say... Proficient with two and relatively good with four. Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and moving on. What? I mean, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> these are just my little pings that keep coming up. I just need to ask these questions. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of get it, but for you know people that are listening or watching, what well, you talk about feminine embodiment? What? How? What does that mean?
1: Well you know that is a really really good question and I think that's a very important question to be asking right now and I'll be very honest and say my whole understanding of it is currently going through a massive overhaul like I've actually had to level down you know really kind of demolish lately my what I thought was feminine embodiment mm-hmm. and so it's taking on a whole new meaning for me but In my eyes and in my experience, uh, feminine embodiment is understanding that as a feminine being at the core of my essence, so I was born into a woman's body and I also identify as female and even beyond that, I identify as feminine. And I feel it's not just, it's actually beyond identification, it's Mm -hmm. who. My soul—it's what my soul chooses to express—is this feminine pull, and there's also a masculine pull. And so, you know, beyond gender, beyond all that, I'm—I'm I'm really not here to be in a conversation about all that because that yeah. is a massive, um, whole world right now, and will continue to be. But from my understanding, I have a lot of different ways that I tap into my feminine essence. And so what are those ways? And so all of those things that I mentioned in my bio, all those things that you read, you know, connecting to the earth, dancing, music, travel, exploration, curiosity, birth work, death work, um, the, the realm of the night, the realm of um, journeying shamanically, um, all of these are just, Uh, fragments, you know, of feminine embodiment, different ways that we can tap into this feminine essence. Um, Water is a huge one. Like, I feel like that's actually the ultimate, that would be feminine essence in its totality in my eyes, like water and earth. Um, I could, yeah, it's quite a deep discussion and it's also changing for me right now. So it's kind of a, a, an evolving It's very evolving, which is also quite feminine, right? Like everything's always changing. Which is great, yeah. Yeah, has all these different phases. So that's my, that's it in a nutshell. That was a beautiful (laughs) explanation. I'm going to put it in one
0: simple sentence from what I understand. That it's almost following what feels right and good and trusting yourself. And um, as you mentioned, fun. So what feels really good for you and allowing those experiences to come to you and you experiencing them. And that's a way to connect with your soul or your essence.
1: Yes. To sum it all up, being the vessel, because as women, as feminine embodiment, as feminine pole holders, we hold the womb space, which is a chalice. And so this chalice is a vessel. And so my prayer as a custodian, as a, um, steward of the feminine is to be the vessel for all of the aspects of God, of Christ, of existence that are feminine to be held through me so that it can be held and people can behold Mm. this in its truest form out there. And so it's really just um, to put it in sort of terms that I feel like get a bit um, used quite often, but it's, it's, a way, it's actually like holding space for life to be received through you, and then you share and give. Mm. Almost like a beacon of light. It's exactly it being the lighthouse.
0: Beautiful. I love that. And since we're talking about um, uh, feminism and fem- not the feminine empowerment, sacred sexuality. Mm. That's another big topic, but I would like to talk about it because I find, I have found in my experience and and speaking to a lot of women that sexuality has been repressed through, through generations. And I feel that it's really, you know, the world is changing rapidly, rapidly, but it's such an important topic of honoring your body and honoring sexuality. So I know you I've talked about that in your bio. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I'd love to probably going red. I don't even know why
1: it's just a natural conditioning. I'm an open book and I, I really feel like, you know, growing up in a very um, Southern space, Baptist Christian household, Mm -hmm. like we weren't Southern Baptists, but that was there too. But that's like a whole thing. But, you know, I was very raised very traditionally. And it was definitely a taboo topic and sex, you know, and sexuality. And um, I was always interested in it, actually. Ever since I was probably about four years old, I became aware of myself as a sexual being. I remember uh, just being really clear on what felt good, what was, um, what was like sexual and that that part of me wasn't really supposed to be shown or talked about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's also to keep children safe to an extent. Like, I understand that, but I also feel like kids need to be like, I I feel like there needs to be safe spaces for children within their, home and family life to be able to speak about it extremely openly to where nothing is taboo because I feel like because of so much of the taboo repression in society, like sex is something that is always being used to sell. But when you are just embodying it, it can be classified as all of these stigma, there's all these stigmas around women who embrace their sexuality. And back in the day, way back in the day, way, way, way back, way back when um, women were highly revered for their sexual power, their sexual prowess. It was a part of fertility rights. Um, There were women who were very prestigious and highly honored for their roles as I mean, essentially, you know, they call them—they called them temple priestesses, so to speak. And this has gotten really watered down in today's society. And it's become watered down in the mainstream. And it's also become really watered down in this new age. Like every woman is like, I'm a priestess. I was a former sexual priestess in Egypt, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's become like this archetype. But that's just it is like, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of nature. And it's our nature. To be fertile, to be supple, to be like juicy, to be um, flowing, and to be expressed in that, to be innocent in that, and so that's one of the reasons why I like the hula hoop. You know, because it is a way for a woman to be in her body and be in this expression, and still be able to f- have a, a feeling of innocence um, within, and also being observed uh, innocently, so to speak, like. I just felt like if I were moving my body a certain way uh, without the hula hoop, people might view it differently. And so there's something about this ring that gives it a little more of a, an innocent essence, uh, like play. But sexuality and play are so deeply intertwined. And so I love to allow women the space, you know, in my coaching and in my workshops, especially in my dance workshops to explore this part of themselves extremely uninhibitedly. Um, I'll put on music and like, we'll twerk and we'll get low. We'll get kind of nasty <laughs> with it, you know, because there's not many places for women to do that um, without a oversexualized gaze. And, but that's, it's all part of it. And the female anatomy is so complex. There are many, many different ways a woman can orgasm. Uh, society is very focused on, you know, the clitoris and the vagina, but there's many different aspects. I think that most people don't even understand that there's like 28 different sensitive aspect points to the clitoris itself. So, you know, we could talk about sacred sexuality from an anatomical perspective. We could talk about it from a spiritual perspective. We could talk about it from a primal perspective. We could talk about it from a fun, playful, um, centrally self-expressed perspective Uh, We could talk about it from an energetic, hygienic perspective. I mean, actually, I mean, a woman is meant to have this energy flowing and there's many different ways to keep it flowing. And it doesn't have to be with a partner. It doesn't have to be even through the act of intercourse. There's so many different ways, which is why I constantly go back to dance and constantly go back to uh, being in water. You know, there's just There are so many feminine outlets to express sexuality and sensuality. Um, Sisterhood can be a beautiful container for that. And yeah, I just feel like it, especially in America, um, is it's very judged oftentimes for a woman to be sexual, but then the media is portraying sexuality all over the place. Mm. So it's very confusing. And so I like to hold a space for women to ask me anything, for men to ask me about female sexuality, because women have gotten very confused too, and think that you know, good sex looks like some weird porn scene, and that's just not true. You know, it's really not. And so, I like to have real life conversations with men and women about what is healthy, about what is um, what they're open to, what they're not open to, boundaries consent. Like all of this is a part of sacred sexuality. And I mean, that is actually such a wide, huge, massive topic that I feel like has become such a hot word. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, BDSM. It doesn't have to be like crazy kink. It doesn't have to be polyamory. Like it doesn't have to be all these extremes. It's really you and what feels right to be experiencing for you at whatever phase you are in your life. And it can be just total vanilla, like monogamy. I'm married to my love and, you know, this is how we do it. Or it can also just be, I'm taking a really hot bath with rose petals. And it could also be, I'm sitting still Mm -hmm. meditating. It could be, I'm dancing. It could be, I'm singing. It could be really anything, you know, It, it really, There is such a wide and beautiful sexual spectrum and it's all sacred as long as everyone is being respected and listened to and honored, you know, around their boundaries and their consent and how they want to flow with it. That was beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) as you're talking about that. Look,
0: I just think even when I, I'm not normally tongue-tied, but even when I asked you the question, I was kind of stuttering. <laughs> um, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, um, but I think also in our society, there's a lot of shame around it. So you really clarified, you know, the beauty of sexuality and to honour yourself. So thank you. Thank you for that. And I'm not tongue-tied anymore.
1: <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, like I said, open black I I think it's important to talk about it without that shame. Yeah, yes. clearing the shame is really important.
0: Clearing it, definitely. Maybe I need to do a bit of inner work on that one. <laughs> um, oh, I've got so many things I want to talk to you about, but I'd love to talk about plant medicine and psychedelics mm-hmm. with you if we have a little bit of time. Yeah. There's so much to talk about, but should we move on to plant medicine and psychedelics, which is a really interesting topic. It. Okay. Yeah, it is.
1: Do you have any specific questions because I have like a whole I have a whole thing I could say about that. Well, I look, I've never tried
0: ayahuasca. I would like to try it. I know it's very popular at the moment.
1: Yes. We could start with the plant medicine with the ayahuasca. Yeah. Let's talk about ayahuasca. Okay. I think it's really important to talk about ayahuasca right now because it's so trending. Mm. And I'm just going to share my story Lovely. and I have I have some thoughts and forming beliefs around this that like may not be as popular, um, with the, within the new age community. And I'm okay with that because I, my, my goal, <laughs> yeah, my goal is to keep people safe and also keep the culture of the, uh, Iowa safe, the Shapibo safe. So, and I also just want to go into this saying that I am of European descent. I was raised in South Carolina in America and ayahuasca did not even, I did not even hear that word until I was 22. I'm now 35. And I began journeying with ayahuasca. I actually took her on as a teacher when I was 26. And so it's been a really amazing, long, uh, enlightening, destructive, empowering, and eye-opening journey for me. And what I've learned to keep it brief, but truthful, um, I, you know, I did the whole thing. I the the first time I actually sat with that particular sacrament, um, I had, it had zero effect on me. And the second time I sat with it, it had zero effect on me. And so I spoke with, um, someone who was an administrator of that medicine. They were, a, they were a facilitator. Um, I'm very careful about how I use the word shaman now, mm-hmm. but they were like, well, what's your relationship with cannabis, you know, with marijuana? And I said, oh, I'm, I, you know, I, at that time I was using it quite frequently and they're like, well, these two plants, they don't, it, you know, they're actually kind of competing for the same receptors, you know, in your brain. So it's really important to let go of cannabis, you know, before you partake of this other one. And so I did, and that made all the difference. And so that was like maybe my fourth, time journeying. And then I got it. I was like, okay, I see what this is. It's not just like a total hippie scam. It's not just some, you know, snake oil. Uh, well actually in some ways you could (laughs) say it is because, um, and I mean that twofold, like literally it has the energetics of the serpent, but also, um, people really feel like it's this be-all, end-all, cure-all for everything. And that I feel like has become like a bit of a dangerous belief. So I went there. I was like, I'm going all in. And I felt very called to, you know, be a medicine woman. And I felt like this plant was calling me. And so I, I, Put a lot of energy and time and commitment and money and travel into you know going to Peru and studying with the Shipibo, and that was like a very profound experience being in the jungle. And I don't recommend it really for, for everyone at all for several reasons. Number one, because um, because so much westernized, um, the, so much money from the Western world is going down there that it's actually, it's a, it's a very slow growing plant. So there's virtually like not enough vine to provide for as many spiritual seekers because everybody just wants to try it. Everyone's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I've heard of this. I just want to try, but there's, these people now have gotten a taste of the money that it can bring. And they also have limited resources to an extent. And so the money influences how they, you know conduct themselves, and so there's a lot of times where other plants are being mixed in with the ayahuasca that really shouldn't be in there um, and just to give an effect like to to literally get the gringos high, you know because they want to supply because there's so much demand, and you know the influx of Western tourism and European tourism and the extremely trending spiritual um, obsession of ayahuasca now has changed, has changed it. I feel like it's really changed it. And there's also a lot of like human trafficking and things that go on down there, in, um, especially in Peru, especially in Iquitos. And so I think that people need to be extremely cautious when they go down there. When I was down there, I was definitely followed. Um, people would run up and snatch your wallet right out of your hand. Like it was really I- extreme mm-hmm. and actually quite, um, uh, it was a bit, a bit scary, you know? And I mean, I've seen a lot of trash, but I mean, and the, 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 the culture and the beauty of that place is incredible, but it's also matched with, you know, ext- like stories and stories, high piles of trash and like ex- extreme consumerism and everybody's just like wanting these, these substances. And so it really showed me like, Oh my God, this is, is this really, is this really what I need to be doing? And the Shapibo women themselves that I was connecting with, they were just like, Oh great. Another, another white woman who wants to learn our culture, you know, like we grew up with this. This is our life. This is, we live this. And for you, this is not your culture. And so for you to step into this, like you have no idea what you'll need to sacrifice and give up, including your emotional programming, including the way that you consume, the way that you use these, um, electronic devices, the words you speak, like you weren't born into this. And so for you to really fully step into this, you would literally have to live a completely different life than what you're living. And that was my first, um, Side that I was like, oh,
0: maybe hmm. it's not for
1: me. Maybe it's not for me. And maybe it's not for like most of these people who are just looking, like really looking for something outside of themselves to complete something that's in here. But I kept going with it um for probably another four or five years. And I had a teacher, and I really respect and honor, you know, the lineage that they came from. And I also um really respect and honor the plants themselves the chacruna and the ayahuasca that are blended together with water water is the magic ingredient because if you have the leaf and the vine and you just put them in your mouth together like nothing's going to happen i mean you have to Mm -hmm. cook it and boil it and there's people ordering it online these days and i'm just like oh my god you know people are looking at it like it's a party favor i've even heard of people over in European countries, like mixing in some ayahuasca with some mushrooms and some chocolate bars and giving it out at parties. And I think this is an extremely irresponsible use. Because way back in the day, uh, the Shipibo doctor, like whoever was the doctor per- prescribing or not prescribing, but administering the medicine, they would be the ones to drink it. And then the patient would actually receive a healing from them while the shaman was under the influence of oh. this medicine. Mm-hmm. And so it's become very different now. Now it's like people are sitting in these massive groups. I've heard of ceremonies that are hundreds and hundreds of people large. Everyone is partaking of it. And many times the container is not being held well. So I am, I am an advocate for the use of this medicine, if it is with the appropriate person in the appropriate place at the appropriate time and for the appropriate reasons, because it is very powerful and it is very healing. Have I received massive healing and insights? Yes. After six years of journeying and probably over 250 ceremonies with ayahuasca, I can tell you, I had a lot of work to do coming, coming down off of it. Because now being sober, and on many different levels, number one, my whole community changed when I stopped drinking ayahuasca. Almost everybody in my life wasn't in my life anymore. Everything changed. It was literally the glue, like holding my my sense of spiritual self together. It had become my religion, and when I let go of that religion, a lot of people left my life. Um, also, my physical body needed serious repair. I felt like because I had held space for so many people without really know, like with, I mean, I know how to hold a container and I know how to, um, keep myself and other people safe. But when there's, whenever there's like deep ancestral medicine being involved, there are things that we may be unaware of. And it it was actually easier for me to see it in hindsight than it was it was at the time and it always is unfortunately. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. And so I actually ended up going into an extremely, extremely deep depression that was alarming to me. And I, um, went and saw a doctor, like a real, just, you know, like not like a normal medicine West. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was definitely still like a conscious like yogic practitioner, but he did a lot of testing on my neurotransmitters and it turned out I was super low in almost all my neurotransmitters. And, um, you know, we determined that it was from so much ayahuasca use that my brain was just like, Oh, I'm so used to getting this massive dump of serotonin every time you drink this medicine that I don't even, it's like my gut and my brain weren't communicating on how to produce and synthesize. Um, my neurotransmitters anymore. So it actually took a lot of physical healing for me to be sober from this medicine. And also I realized I still had a ton of work to do and that ayahuasca is not just like this magical cup that will like take care of everything. However, I did experience things that I am like oh, so grateful for and met so many beautiful people and Really, like, actually connected. You know, I had in probably over 250 ceremonies, there were probably about five of them that I feel like were extremely integrated into my life. And I realized that integration is the key and that it's really a bit dangerous to continue to take this substance over and over and over again without fully integrating. And integration can look like many different things, but it definitely requires time away and in reflection and meditation and taking actions in your life that are in alignment with, you know, what you feel like you received as wisdom from that experience. And I just feel like it's very overused right now and that the culture is being misappropriated and also that it's an extremely healing plant combination and with the right people and the right, with the right purpose, it is very life-changing on a positive level. I also just see a lot of misconduct, um, a lot of misconduct sexually, oftentimes amongst um, facilitators of this medicine. I see really sticky situations in a lot of these ayahuasca circles. And I also see them, yeah, just being really careless with um, things that I feel like should not be overlooked. And so I have some very mixed feelings about the way that it's all unfolding. And I just really encourage people to do an extensive amount of research and really check in with why. Do I really need this or am I just looking for another high? or another spiritual experience because we can't keep chasing it, especially through substances, even though these substances are very helpful at the right time. I mean, and that goes the same. I could say the same thing about LSD, about mushrooms, about MDMA, sassafras, wachuma, San Pedro, you know, I've, I've worked with it all. And, you know, one time is really good. Like if you really need it, and it's the right moment, like one time, and then you can integrate that for the rest of your life. So those are my thoughts.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey so openly and honestly, that was beautiful. <laughs> you're welcome. I hope it helps people. <laughs> it does. And it, you know, it, it just, as you said, it gives you the other side. So be really informed before you do take this medicine. And I love like anything, whether if it, I say to people, if it's, you know, you're looking for a re- relationship, it's not there to complete you. Is ayahuasca addictive? So it's not termed
1: as an addictive substance, is it? It's not. I feel like people can get addicted to it as a, like a spiritual band-aid. And I feel like also people can get really sucked into the almost cult-like communities. And really the sense of belonging that it can bring within these ceremonies and people really, what people love, what I love so much, and I'm still, and I'm, now I'm finding other ways to do it as I love sitting up all night with people I loved and could connect with who were like-minded playing music and singing and being in prayer. And I feel like if we all committed eight hours in one night or 12 hours to purify our bodies, eat really clean, prepare, come together, Call in our healed and well ancestors, bring instruments, honor the directions, honor the ancestors of the land, and sat up all night in prayer, singing, dancing, praying, you know, honoring the elements, and then came out of that in reverence, like we would probably be just as you know, altered. Yeah. And I also have so much reverence for the spirit of this. Uh, this really, really powerful vine and leaf. And she is very helpful. It's like a fast track. It's like a wormhole. So not everybody can handle it. Yeah. And 250 times approximately is a lot. Approximately. Oh, it was, yeah, over the top. But I (laughs) thought it was my purpose. I thought it was my purpose. But then she kind of like bitch slapped me around a little bit and was like, I kind of, of
0: get the impression you're not a moderation girl.
1: <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah. No, I wouldn't trade a moment of it.
0: Yeah. No, of course. Um, I, just, I just want to touch on two subjects. If we have time. Yeah. Human design study. You've talked about that before. What, what is human
1: design study? That's also something that is really starting to just super pop and trend. I have heard of it. Yeah, I've been a self study since 1999, actually. I was 15 years old whenever I got my human design chart analyzed by my best friend's mom. And so basically, human design is a combination of, I was like looking to see if I have my book, but it's like just out of reach. But human (laughs) design is a combination of, what people would consider the the chakra system which is just these energy centers that we have in our body um raw the man who brought through the system of human design which he said was a very uncomfortable experience that lasted eight days that came to him in like light and voice and actually he was just like totally taken by this um presence that was like passing through him that, that I mean, essentially channeled human design. And I mean, it's beyond a channeling. He he, he describes it very intensely. So is that from the raw it. material? It's different. No, it's, different. it's actually not. Yeah. Okay. Um, he was given this new name, uh, Ra-Uruhu, and I can't actually recall his birth name, but this was, I think, in 1989. Okay. And so essentially, it's the chakra systems that ha- that's evolved into seven from seven centers into nine centers, and uh, so it includes, um, you know, our our head center, our third eye center, our throat center, our self center, our solar plexus center, our splenic center, our heart center, and our root center. So there's nine different ones, and each of these centers has multiple gates, which correlate with the I Ching which if anybody is familiar with the gene keys, then human design and the gene keys are quite married. Um, and the gene keys is essentially the modern day expression of the I Ching. And the I Ching is the most ancient oracle that we know of um, from the Far East, from China. And the I Ching is, was actually inspired by the patterns on a turtle's shell. And also, it it directly correlates with the 64 codons of our DNA. And also, if you look at a human design profile or a human design chart, you'll see, or they call it like a body graph. If you look at a human design body graph, you'll also see um, a lot of, uh, like, the tree of life is in there. And it's a lot of quantum physics, actually. And I'm a self-study. so. I see these people now who have gone really, really deep. And there are four types. So there's generators, there's manifestors, there's reflectors and projectors. And there's also uh, like a little bit of a hybrid generator called a manifesting generator, which is- Oh, that mm-hmm. sounds good. <laughs> yeah, that's me. And so there's, it's, it's very, very, very multi-layered. And the reason why I like it – oh, and also, of course, Western astrology is, like, also a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different influences that confluence. It's like a confluence of influences that all make up this extremely unique blueprint that is you. And the reason I like it is because – It gives you a very clear strategy and a very clear authority. And all of, like, all generators have the same strategy, which is to respond. All projectors have the same strategy, which is wait for the invitation. All reflectors have the same strategy. All manifestors have the same strategy. So I really like the strategies. And then it depends on which centers you have defined that determines your authority. And so, like, I'm an emotional authority. So it's extremely important for me to be emotionally clear before making big decisions and things like that and there's there's many different authorities that uh, people can have. So it is very detailed and even after 15 years of studying my own chart and other people's chart, I feel like I'm still at the tip of the iceberg. So that's that. That
0: was great. You you're very knowledgeable. <laughs> we might have to do another episode. You've got such a broad range of topics. But so th- how, so how do you determine what category a person goes in? What's it based on?
1: Oh, it's Astrology. based on your birth
0: information.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's based on your birth, time, place, and date. And you okay. can just plug that in anywhere. Like Jovian Archive is, I think, the official human design mm-hmm. site. I just oftentimes go to Human Design America. And there's all sorts of different softwares that okay. you can, you know, purchase to look into that. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm just writing that
1: down. Oh yeah, sure. I'd
0: love to give you, I'd love to look at yours. We should do that sometime. (laughs) Okay, sure. Um, Your retreat coming up in Bali. Mm. Sounds amazing. Do you want to tell our listeners and audience about it?
1: I'm so excited about it. This is actually my first international retreat and I've been a part of retreats all around the world. Um, I've been so blessed to connect with you know, at different hoop retreats and retreats in Hawaii retreats in Peru retreats in Australia, like all retreats all around the world. And so finally I was like, Oh, it's time for me to have a retreat. And Bali is pretty much my favorite place on the planet currently. And the reason why I'm having it in Bali in March, it's March 17th through the 28th. And I chose these dates because, and it's an 11 day retreat. So there's lots of cultural immersion time, but it's over the Balinese new year, which is Nyepi, which is their lunar new year. And it is such a climactic moment uh, for the Balinese people. And you get to see such an amazing display of their culture. And also there's a day of silence. The whole island goes silent for their new year's day. And I called the retreat purify because Bali is the island of purification. There are uh, different ley lines that move through Bali. And as they move through, as these ley lines themselves, which is like energetic channels that flow on the earth. Highways. The, yes, essentially. And there's many different sacred sites that are on these ley lines. And so when these ley lines pass through Bali, Bali, because of the nature of the people, um, how holy and reverent they uh, care for their land and care for their water and care for the spirits and the dragons, the Nagas that are their ancestors, um, everything is purified when it moves through Bali. So all the ley lines are purified and then those ley lines purify the other sacred sites that they pass through. Um, Whenever you go to Bali, you're purified. Um, There's many different ways this could happen. It could be through ceremony, uh, which we'll be doing many different ceremonies at as many water temples as we can fit in, in the 11 days that we'll be there. We'll also be going to different cold springs, hot springs, black sand beaches, white sand beaches. I'll be having um, my dear friend, Katerina Sutton, come and guest teach uh, her newest hoop dance workshop that she's calling metamorphosis. Um, I will be hosting different breath workshops. we will be doing purification through breath practices, also purification through dance, purification through some yogic asana. And of course the food is just so next level in Bali and sisterhood, the container of sisterhood. Um, we'll be um, journeying with some Balinese cacao and, it's just going to be amazing. So between all the different amazing, yeah, it's going to be pretty juicy. I'm really excited about it. And for people that are listening or watching all your
0: notes, details will be in the show notes for anyone to connect with you. So in the essence of time, is there anything else you'd specifically like to talk about? There's a lot more I'd like to talk about, but we're running out of time.
1: (laughs) You know, I just, I just really want to encourage everybody out there to, really just sink into what you really want to offer this world and like what is the service that brings you joy that you can give back at this time because there is so much happening out there and there are so many forces against us that it's really important to be a force of positivity and joy and beauty and truth right now at this time. And so if there was like that thing you wanted to do, but you've been really scared to do it, just do it. Or if there's someone who you love, tell them so. And if you need to take a break and go to the beach, like go get in the ocean and, and pray for it and pray with it and sing your song and dance your dance and just really embrace what is at this time in your life because we're at a very pivotal moment. And so I feel like it's just really important to express yourself fully. So please do us all a favor and do that. Shelley White, Like, what a beautiful message. And you answered
0: my question, how to live a passionate life anyway. You answered that in that final um, there it is sentence. So that was beautiful. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. What an honor. It was an honor for me too. I've got a wealth of information from you. So thank you so much. <laughs>
1: You're so welcome. Okay. Looking forward to next.
0: I'm. Uh, me too. Thank you so much. Bye, Shelley White Light.
1: Bye bye. Bye. That is the
0: end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends, and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.